Topic 10. Ooh, look at that. Topic 10 then. Uh, security. Security of the company, security of the hardware, security of the software, security just in general terms. The questions that come up in the exam will be along those lines. It could be you're working for this company, what's the physical security layouts, what sort of things you could be aware of. You're actually setting up a new network, what security should you be aware of, what are the problems that are going to happen, all those types of things. Now, you know from your employer set project, you had to incorporate some of those things anyway. If you remember, task three for the support people, task three was along the lines of, I think, how would you improve this system? What sort of things should you worry about? Those types of things. So this is, this is the unit that tied into that employer set project, I guess. So first of all, human resources, human beings, the people that are the most valuable part of the company. However, they are the weakest link, right? As I've said many, many times, most companies that are targeted by um, criminals, they know that they can get in easily because of human nature, right? Classic example is... I've said this loads and loads of times before, but if you're in, this is a, a classic scam for people trying to break into a company. They tip up on a wheelchair. They're struggling with the door to get in. They haven't got the lanyard or the badge. People, somebody comes up, oh, let me help you. Let, let me get you in, open the door. And where do you want to go? I'll push you. I want to go to the, to the secure network room. Oh, yeah, off you go. So that happens. Human nature, you know, we want to help people, most of us. So first of all, then, in terms of security, what things are needed to be protected? If you are looking after a company network, what should you be concerned with? First and foremost, we're obsessed with it in the UK, is salary, right? If you ask somebody to tell you their salary in the States, they'll tell you straight up, oh, I'm on this amount of money. They won't tell you here. Sorry, I'm still not sure where that is. If they do, they load the file, they then Send you what? Send you a picture. Yeah. Is this still okay, Luke? Yep. All right. So, salaries. Obviously, we've talked about this before. If I know what some company's being paid, I can, I can poach their valuable employees. So I, say, I can phone them up and say, would you come and work for me for another £5,000? And absolutely, they'd say yes. So salaries are protected because you don't want to lose your employees. And again, as you probably know from yesterday's news, people come and go quite quickly. And it's a very competitive market in many industries. In your, in your industry, where the, the number one job that people are looking for in the Southwest, and that's across the, probably across the globe, is data analytics. Right? If you've got any amount of data skills, data manipulation, you are very valuable. 56% of the jobs in the Southwest of England uh, that, that companies are looking for are data specialists. Oh, benefits and perks, again, I can phone up and say, you know, if you come and work for us, we'll give you a company car, free petrol, etc., etc., all those things. Again, if you're not paid a great deal of money, but you get all these great perks, that's going to be really valuable. So that in terms of protection, in terms of security, it's all about protecting your employees who should be, if you're a fairly effective company, your employees should be your most valuable asset, human resources. So how do you protect them? So the security of your company is dependent on the security of your staff. If your valued staff keep getting poached and leave because you're not paying them enough money, etc., etc., 
then that's something you need to address in terms of security. The other thing is about employment data. Again, if, if somebody broke into Stroke College and they, they managed to get into a database and find all this data about people, they find out my personal details, my employment history, all the money I'm paid, the perks I get, that's all my personal private data. I've signed a contract with the college that nobody should know that except me. Right? So that should be protected. If the college doesn't protect that, they're not fulfilling their duty. Uh, the other thing is, and then on a slightly negative note, again, if I, if I wanted to employ somebody and they, they, they give me their CV, mostly I have probably a really nice CV, doesn't, doesn't say that you're absent five days a week, except all these nasty things that you do. It's all the good stuff. If somebody breaks into the networks and finds out, if, if I go and apply for the, the college down the road, because I want to get a, a better paid job, if they break into the college and they find out that I'm on loads of disciplinaries because I've been fighting with students or whatever, then they're probably not going to employ me. It's not from Woodstone. And appraisals, again, appraisals and disciplinaries, these are, these are things that are private to me. They shouldn't be out there in the public domain. Right? Well, they are now. They're on the hip about my fighting students. And medical information. Again, this is becoming a very contentious thing. In the United States, we talked about this briefly before, I think. In the States... You make because it, you cannot get insurance. It's really expensive. You know, if you go to hospital, when I first went to the states back in '78, I went to the states. I, in those days, I used to bite my nails a lot, and they'd get infected. I got really bad infection on my finger. I went to hospital. It almost bankrupted my family. We've only just arrived in the states. We had a hospital bill just because I had a bit of infection. I had a bit of antibiotics. It was hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It was crippling. So again. In terms of medical information now, because of the, the proliferation of data, lots of people are sharing data on their mobile phones because they're constantly on their mobile phones even during lessons and things like that. They're telling people out online that all this stuff is stored and tracked and saying, oh, I don't feel too well, a bit of a heart flutter. You know, all those analogue devices are picking that stuff up. They're sending it off to the insurance company. You phone up the insurance company and say, oh, how much is our insurance policy this year? Oh, we can't insure you this year. Sorry, you're too much of a risk. You, you know, you're having a heart attack. So all that stuff is interrelated. This is how data comes into this stuff. In terms of security, again, I don't want people finding out that I've had some sort of medical issue if it's a fairly minor thing, because they will make a decision about it. When you go for a job interview, they will ask you questions and, and they'll try and trip, trip you up about your sort of personal life and all sorts of things, because they'll make decisions about you unnecessarily. So again, that stuff needs to be secure. Right, so human resources, those are the types of things you need to understand in terms of the exam. So it might be a question along the lines of what types of data should be protected within the company and why is it important to make sure it's secure. So it's along the lines of good stuff, you know, you don't want to be poached by another company or you don't want to lose a job because the company tells you stuff that should be private. Right? If you're working for a company that isn't very nice and you're having a bit of a row with them all the time, that's nothing to do with you really, is it? It's the company's not very good. If you're working with a boss you don't get on with, your, your work could be brilliant, but because they, they, they don't like you, they give you all these disciplinaries unnecessarily. When you go and get a job, um, that sort of stuff's going back and haunts you, doesn't it? The same thing, if you go for, if you stayed at college and you, you had really poor attendance, if you go for a job, because, because you've been at college, the, the, the employer will phone the college and say, can you tell me about the student? And by law, we have to say, well, their attendance is really poor. You've lost a job. So all that stuff is, it does track behind it, isn't it? Right, the other thing is, I guess a bit more obvious, tell me to skip if this stuff is too obvious, right? Firstly, sensitive information. If I know what a comp company's up to, I can undermine them, I can put out some advertising, this happens. It used to be protected. You couldn't sort of do stuff against other companies. 
Has everyone been tracking the, the Colin versus Cuthbert sort of saga? Is that keeping you awake at night? Still going on, though, isn't it? Everyone aware of that? Marks and Spencers came out with a caterpillar cake called Colin, I think it was, or Cuthbert, I can't remember. Right. They, Aldi came out with an identical cake called a slightly different name, but with a C, and Marks and Spencers then took them to court. That is our intellectual property, that, that you know, caterpillar-shaped cake. Right, so this sort of stuff is, goes on and on. But that is commercially sensitive data, what goes into it. We talked about peri-peri sauce or whatever, you know, all those things are protected against something or other. So sales revenue, if I know a company is, is tanking, their sales are going through the floor, then I'm going to go after their employees because I know their employees are about to lose their job, right? So that's really sensitive. And that could, that could be just the thing that tips that company into, into bankruptcy. Right, so sales figures are always quite important in terms of competitive advantage. Uh, trade secrets, we talked about that before. Client customer details, obviously. If I can get hold of um, some some company's client details, then I can start selling directly to them. I can bypass I can bypass all the expense of trying to get my own customer base. I just steal someone else's. Classic example of that, so everyone, I've talked about this before, the classic example is Facebook. Yeah. Facebook was not the, the definitive one on the market, it was a company called MySpace. Mark Zuckerberg was a fairly clever programmer. He wrote a program which basically broke through MySpace's firewall and grabbed all of their data, pulled all the data into his system, Facebook, then all these people that suddenly got messages from their friends. I'm on Facebook, come join me. He then locked down Facebook so it couldn't happen to him. And then MySpace just collapsed because they had no people anymore. Everyone went over to Facebook. The rest is history, as I say. Right. Um, so client customer details, that's a classic example. Facebook is now one of the biggest companies in the world because he was able to do that. At the time, it was legal to be able to do that. It's no longer legal. Uh, client customer details. So stakeholder details. Again, if you know who's investing in those companies, you can go after them and say, what about investing in my company? So that's sensitive data. Contracts, again, the contract will have all sorts of information about what details you gave to that person to keep them on the books. And if you can offer a better deal, then you can. Contracts might also say, so for example, somebody in, in Strode College's contract might be that they're only here temporarily. So that means that other colleges can then sort of advertise. They know that that person is almost available and, and probably looking for a job because their contract's about to expire. So that's why that stuff's quite important. And then intellectual property. Remember that comes up, IP, it's not internet protocol, it's intellectual property, try and keep them clear. Um, if I create something fabulous, I put it into the public domain, I protect it by making part intellectual property or um, some other sort of legal protection. If anyone steals my idea, then I can take them to court and sue them because it belongs to me. Right? So anything, and you can actually make anything an intellectual property. So most things, and there's a lot of stuff going on in the States in terms of litigation, based, mainly based on things like open source. Um, there was a case that went on for something like 20 years because in the early days, in the pre-days of Linux, the operating system that Linux was derived from was Unix. That was the big mainframe system that everyone used, but it was incredibly expensive. Big companies and universities could sort of afford the license, but that was it. So nobody could learn on it because it wasn't available. So 
some student in Finland, Linus, he took, he took Unix and made his own version and he, and he put it up on the pub internet, Linus's Unix or Linux, and away we go. But he had to incorporate loads of open source code. Never did it. There was some intellectual property attached to it. Some, some companies took it, but some of that intellectual property of, of drivers and things like that belonged to other companies and they sued them. So it went on and on for years. It is quite important. Then access information, more technical stuff. So password protection. These days, I think, most systems will force you to do at least eight-character password, won't they, with capitals and ca characters and all sorts. But an eight-character password is fairly simple to break. So I think most companies, if they're decent, will want 12, 16 or above. And again, it's getting worse and worse, isn't it? There, there's so many password-cracking software out there that will just run through any eight-letter password and crack it quite quickly. And again, if somebody gets into your bank account and empties it, it's not very nice. So how do we protect? What's the technical things in order to make security a little bit better? So the first thing is making, enforcing password policies, making sure that people have very complex passwords. In some companies, they will actually force you to change a password every day. Right? If it's a really high-security place like GCHQ, you'll be forced every day to log in to, to choose a new password, and it'll be quite a complex one. Um, but again, it depends on the sensitivity of the data. I don't want people breaking into my bank account particularly, so I've got all these different security protocols that go on that the bank set up and I do as well. Multi-factor authentication. Most, if you do have an online bank account, I don't know what yours is like, mine, I have to log in, I then have to put in some characters from a secret password, and then it sends me a text message that I have to reply to with a code number. So it's three levels of security. I can't get in, and I can't do it outside of my house, but hopefully... If somebody broke into my house, it'd be easy to, for them to log into my bank account because it's all sitting there. But outside of that, I'm fairly secure, I hope. Email accounts. Again, if I, I, I mentioned before, um, somebody sent me an email. They'd hacked into my sort of acquaintance's account. They'd obviously read through the emails and they knew the, what that person talked like and they started talking to people. Hey, it's so-and-so. I'm stuck in Spain. Can you send me some money? Um, so if somebody gets your email account, they can do a lot with it. Um, and you can get, and again, if somebody uses your email to do, to do some sort of fraudulent activity, you're the one that's in front of the courts explaining it, and you're the one that's sort of facing prison time. And phone numbers, phone numbers are quite valuable, again, to use that type of fraud or in order to actually use it. Again, if you think about it, most, in very simplistic security measures, people will ask you for your phone number and email, and if somebody gets hold of those two, they've got most of what they need to break into your account, so those are things you need to protect in terms of security. Right, 10.2, oh, and then finally access codes. So again, um, obviously the access codes on these are part of a, a chip, so I can get into these doors, you can't. You can get into the front door, but you can't get into the rooms, etc., etc. Right. I'm hoping, by the way, as an aside, I don't know if I talked to you about it or not, the, this ongoing saga of the internet, have I told you the latest? Mm. I'll put it on record a bit now. Um, Steve, the network manager, in a fit of anger, just cancelled the contract. He's tired of waiting. And then he signed up for a uh, fibre. So we've got a 10 times as fast internet connection. It should happen fairly quickly. That gives us a lot of scope to do things. What I'd like to do with you lot is downstairs where the internet connection is coming in, there's, a, there's a, one of these full rack servers with switches and things that control the building. I've ordered a um, switch, uh, not a switch, a server. We've got a server in 202. We're going to put two servers in which you will then manage as a business. And I'm going to try and get you one of these so that you can get into that room. That room becomes our company 
networking system, and you're going to have to manage it and learn the skills to do that, which I think is quite useful. It may or might not happen. I've also tried to order some laptops. You've got a laptop to work on as well, but that may may not come to pass. We'll see. Anyway, uh, the importance of maintaining, the consequence of not maintaining confidentiality, integrity, and availability. So another acronym, CIA, nothing to do with the Americans, Secret Service. It's uh, confidentiality, integrity. So, confidential, is it private, is it looked after, is it not um, available for anyone else? The integrity of it, is it stored somewhere securely, is it backed up regularly, those types of things. Uh, and then availability, if I want to go in, and if I go in by law, because of the Data Protection Act, if I want to go and find out what the college has about me, they have to give it to me. So, again, they've got to make it secure, but they've got to be able to give it to me when I need it. And it's the same for any company in the UK at the moment. Not so much, this is a problem... I mentioned before, Europe and, and the US are sort of currently in a bit of a battle, in a bit of a war, because the Americans don't have very good security protocols, and Europe does. So Europe is basically suing Google, saying you cannot put your service in Europe unless you follow our rules. Right? And they're suing them for quite a lot of money. Same for Apple and all sorts of other things. Um, right, you want to maintain the CIA then. Compliance. This term may come up, I would imagine, on the exam as what does the term compliance mean? To be compliant means you do as you're told. In terms of compliance, it means you, do, you follow the rules and the regulations. If this college is compliant in terms of your examination, then they'll follow certain rules and regulations to make sure that your exam goes on in the right types of uh, activities. You've got a proper invigilator, you've got proper access to materials, you get a break after X amount of that, et cetera, et cetera. All of those protocols, if they're followed, means that the college would be compliant with the JCQ regulations for examinations, et cetera. Right? So that's compliance following what you're supposed to do in order to fulfil the, the laws and regulations. Uh, maintaining trust with external, internal stakeholders. Again, if, if you find out, um, heaven forbid, that I'm telling loads of lies every single day, that's part of my full-time job, you wouldn't be very happy about it, right? Uh, not that goes on anywhere else in the world, does it? People don't go into their job and lie day in, day out. Uh, so internal stake, you'd, it gets about trust, isn't it? You'd hope that within your organisation you're being told the right sort of things. If, and again, it's a sort of extreme case, if you're employed as a network manager and you're told you're going to be in £36,000, if you then find out you get your taxing at the end of the year and you're, you're actually paid £34,000, then that's, not very, that's pretty dishonest. You then have to go and fight against them and make all sorts of difficult things, saying, what, why wasn't I paid... Here's my contract, you didn't pay me, and you've got all these legal battles going on. So you'd hope the company would be legally, be good up front and um, tell you the truth. And then external stakeholders again. There was a big thing a few weeks ago, if you've been following the news. Um, Apple, Apple announced or hadn't announced something to their stakeholders. Of course, the, the, um, their actual stock price dipped massively. They lost millions and millions. I think they lost billions, in fact, of dollars. Because everyone started selling. Oh, Apple's crashing. No, no, no. What we meant to say was... Again, those things are quite important. Um, the promotion of your brand. Most, in most cases, the brand is the most important, isn't it? Most of we said this before. You buy things based on... Uh, initially, you buy it by the brand. If it works out, you'll, you'll continue to buy it. Um, again, it's still sort of the case, I suppose. When I was at school, everyone that could afford them would have Dr. Martins. If you didn't have them, you weren't very cool. Right, and it's still sort of not quite the case because everyone wears trainers these days. Nobody wears shoes, do they? But brand image is quite important. You know, and people make decisions based on the brands that you wear. 
those things are quite important. But think about it from the company's perspective. If everyone suddenly thinks that Nike is not a very good brand, then obviously they're going to lose. People aren't going to buy their property for whatever reason. So they're very sensitive to brand image, right? Um, Apple, again, had a, a bit of a dip because it came out in the press that the, the people that were making Apple, Apple equipment in the, the factories in China, they had a percentage of the suicide rate was through the roof. They were... It was such awful working conditions in Apple that people were jumping off the roof to kill themselves rather than work because it was so bad. Right? In fact, they actually, in the factories, they installed nets around the building so they couldn't jump off the roof. That's how bad it was. But obviously the brand of Apple dipped quite badly as a result of that. Again, that stuff goes on, doesn't it? Um, avoid security risk, unauthorised access. You, most of you, when you start getting your job, it will be your job on the line if somebody breaks into the system and, and hacks all this stuff, isn't it? So you're the one being be in charge of the network and by default security. So you need to understand this stuff quite deeply. Right, so avoid security risk, unauthorised access. In some company, most internet service provider companies, if you go there, you have to go there with a passport, you have to leave your passport there, etc., etc. I mean, the extreme cases, years ago when I was installing Moodle, I had to install Moodle in a prison. I had to go for about five of these security checks. I had to leave all my keys, everything at the door. Got searched several times. I mean, you know, depending on what's inside that building, the security will be appropriate to that level. But actually, internet service providers now, when you go to the data centres, have eye scans, all sorts of stuff, real top-level security, biosecurity, all sorts. If you do not, so that's, that's what you need to do. If you don't do it, what happens? These are key ones, financial legal and reputation. Obviously, reputation is really hard to get back. Once people see you as a Duff company, no matter what you do, they just won't come back. Right? Um, you sure we haven't done this one? We talked about Talk Talk. Didn't we? Talk Talk had a breach. They lost about a third of their customers and they never came back. That crippled the company for a long, long time. Financially, they lost loads of money. If you have some sort of breach, regulatory breach, you're going to be fined. The breaches, obviously, for the GDPR are 20 million euros or... 10% of your annual turnover. Now, if it's a company like Pearson, Examboard, they're, they're a global company. Their annual turnover is billions. 20% of that is quite nice. Uh, refunds and compensation. If, if you check, nobody ever reads these, but if you sign up for a contract, if you go down to Tesco and you get sold a mobile phone and you don't read the contract, you find out that you didn't get the service you were sold... Is there a contract in there that in there says if you don't get this, you'll get some refund? Now, the classic one, I think, for you lot, you lot is the actual service provider. So if, you, if I sign up for a service provider in order to get a website, they guarantee me 99.995 or 999. And they're in the contract that says if we do not guarantee this for two or three days, we will compensate you 10%. And if it's eight days, it will be 20%. And it goes up and up. So if they are a catastrophic failure, which leads to a lot of loss in you, they'll have to pay you quite a lot of money back. Right? So... Refunds, compensation customers, on a simplistic level, I guess, I don't know, Wilfie, if, if somebody gets a phone and not through no fault of their own, it's busted, presumably you'd replace it or something along yeah, those lines, so that'd be refund. That is a refund for 14 days, even if there's nothing wrong with it. So there's it. fairly strict policy in it, it yeah. depends on what the actual um, problem is. if there's is. something wrong with it, then we just return it and you can, we send it off and then they can take out the contract and cancel and take out another one if you want to. Yeah, else. so it's quite a detailed contract, yeah. I would imagine. Uh, and then loss of earnings. Obviously, if, if, if my website goes down through no fault of my own, I've lost a load of income, then I'm going to go after that internet service provider because it wasn't my fault, it was theirs, and they're going to have to compensate me. So loss of earnings, if it's not my fault, I should be able to go after them. Uh, legal issues, again, if somebody doesn't com 
comply for whatever reason, I can take them to court as long as I've got evidence to do that. If I, if I keep track of stuff, and again, you know, one of the laws we looked at before was a law that you're guaranteed, I think it's a 1.5 megabyte download. If you don't get that, if you keep track of it on your router and keep the logs, you then go back to the service provider, you take them to court and you sue them and say, here's my logs. You can see I've not had 1.5 for months. Uh, you promised it. The law protects me. I want X amount of compensation, right? So you should have some legal recompense if there's a problem. Uh, termination of contract. So again, um, this stuff quite serious. If you, if you undertake a contract and you pull out of it for whatever reason, with no good reason to do it, then the company can take you to court because your contract violations are quite serious. And then finally, for 10.2, 10 reputational damage. Again, talk, talk. When they had that security breach, they lost a third of their customers or a quarter. Massive impact on the company. Loss of clients. If, if I'm, my company's seen as being very slow and not very good, people are going to go and find someone else, aren't they? It's a competitive market, so you could go where the jobs are. Uh, and then damage to brand. It's very difficult to get back. If my company is seen as one that sort of rips you off, even if it was some mistake, people won't come back to that company. That stuff stays in your mind a long, long time, generally. Right, any questions on that one? Uh, 10.3, then the technical and non-technical threats. So this is going to be specific questions about do you understand these? 10.3 really was, I guess a lot of this came up on your task three, didn't it, on the employer set project. So some of the technical threats. Botnets, everyone understand what a botnet is now? We've gone through this, skip that one on. Yeah. Robotic networks, yeah. Uh, denial of service attacks, so again, basically your website's locked up because everyone's bombarding it from all over the shop. Yeah. Distributed denial of service, maybe you're attacking people from all different countries rather than just one particular specific location. And then hacking, cross-site scripting, again, these days, because there's so much scripting running on front of a website to make it nice and interactive for the end user, that means you can inject code into that script and if that script is running stuff like passwords and, and login accounts, you can use that, inject a script to take over that person's account and then move on to another site and start emptying their bank account. So cross-site scripting is quite a big problem in terms of website stuff particularly. Password cracking software, as I mentioned, um, everyone is desperate now to get uh, quantum computers up and running because quantum computers are so much more powerful than the existing supercomputers that... Even a, these days, you know, somebody with a really powerful, you know, up-to-date i9 computer can crack most passwords really easily. That's got so much processing power. Most people don't use very complex passwords, so a, a powerful desktop computer running a password cracking would get into most accounts quite quickly. Uh, and then SQL injections. SQL, everyone? Data, data people? Structured query language? Again... Most websites, if you think about a bank site, most of those websites, they're, they're a front end that's connected to a database. The front end has to capture that data and send a query to the database to extract the data to pull it back to the website. If you can inject into that data as it goes between one and the other, you've actually injected your password details into someone else's account. Hey, presto, you're logged into their account and you empty their bank account. So SQL injection is another big problem. So in terms of security, you need to protect against that. You need to check the website code is secure that they don't allow that to take place. And then we've got a range of malware. Um, obviously, generally viruses. A virus, as the name suggests, is something that just causes damage. It could be something that gives you the sniffles, to use that analogy, something that just is irritating. It pops up a thing in front of you all the time, just keep clicking it and getting irritated. 
or it could be a more serious virus which causes all sorts of problems along the lines of you know covid or ebola which is quite nasty or monkeypox which is going around at the moment isn't it I think the UK is the lead, the world leading uh, place for monkeypox at the moment. We've got the biggest number of cases. It is quite severe if you don't get antivirals. I think it's a one percent death rate, so it's pretty serious stuff. Um, Trojans from the Trojan Wars. Alex is reading about at the moment, no doubt, um, from Greek mythology, not from the Monty Python one where they send in the rabbit and nobody's inside. Monty Python, Holy Grail. Trojan. Trojan Wars, they sent, they gave him a gift of this fabulous wooden horse. Inside were loads of soldiers, all tooled up with knives and, and swords. Waited till they were asleep, jumped out and, and hacked them all to death and opened the gates. So the same thing. Somebody plants a piece of code in your computer with the intention of at some point unloading that code into your computer and taking control. So that's the Trojan software. Uh, worms are ones that, worms generally go on your email, so they'll go onto your email and then they'll send out their email to everyone on your contact list. Uh, remote access Trojans or rats, I guess, is people that uh, have control of those through inter intermediary devices. So they can take control of your computer from anywhere, anytime they want to, through these implanted pieces of code. Key loggers, again, it's a piece of code that runs on your desktop. Basically, what it's looking for, it's constantly running in, in memory. And when you log on to a bank account and it notices that you're about to pass, put a password in, it then starts capturing the code. So you type in your password, the key logger grabs it sends it back to base and they get into your bank account. And in ransomware, the classic one was the NHS had ransomware, said, if you don't pay us millions of pounds, we're going to shut down all your machines. And unfortunately for the NHS, most of their machines are Windows 95 or XP or whatever. So they weren't very secure. Um, so that was easy to do. A lot of this stuff is reasonably good. There's really good protection against this stuff. But again, in, in terms of your job as network support people, this is the sort of stuff you'll have to deal with day in, day out. You've then got spyware, which again is software that's running, capturing your desktop. And that's becoming more and more prevalent. If you think about the proliferation of Zoom, nobody knew Zoom existed before the pandemic. Now it's one of the biggest companies in the world and it is the number one company for doing interactive videos. But that means you need software sitting on your desktop, which allows your machine to talk to someone else's Somebody grabs that code, away they go, they've got control of your machine. Right, so spyware and then adware is stuff, again, that pops up and makes you type, oh, oh I'm going to type this in and, and buy this stuff. They've captured your data. Uh, then we've got malicious spam. A lot of this stuff comes from Monty Python. Spam is a Monty Python sketch. Anyone seen it? Highly recommended, if you like Vikings and spam. All right, so um, unsolicited email or spam. You've got phishing attempts. Again, these are analogies, aren't they? You, you basically put a bit of bait into the water and hopefully somebody bites and you put, reel them in, phishing. Uh, spear phishing is much more targeted. So you, you select a specific person, you know exactly what they were going to say and do. That case that I got that, that my friend's account had been hacked and they were writing to me, that was spear phishing. They'd gone through his email because they'd hacked it um, and they'd looked specifically for certain people and what, what they were expect to hear and they typed as if they were talking to that person. So that's spear phishing. Uh, smishing, no idea, I did ask this before, didn't I? And vishing, video, I think video phishing, so putting up video for people to get into. Smishing, anyone? No idea what that is. It's so hopefully it won't come up. Oh, uh, sta uh, SMS message phishing. And farming, farming is really doing it in the long term. You're like, you're planting the seed and the fertilising it and growing it and then harvesting it. So you're 
you might be actually talking to somebody for months and months or years and years before you finally bite and, and take over their account. Right, so those are the technical ones. And then we've got some non-technical ones, which I talked about earlier on. The classic human error. Um, it, it's so prevalent. I did this to Jamie last time, didn't I? Tell me your password, please. I really need to know. I've got to get into your account. I've got all sorts of problems. You're not going to pass this course without it. I need it right now. Those types of things. Taking advantage of a situation. Right, and the classic thing, I, I used this before, is about the Milgram experiment. Everyone remember that? Were you paying attention that day? Hopefully. Everyone, Milgram's experiment. There's, they're questioning it now, but it was quite interesting. They make people answer questions and turn up the electrical volts till they die. Everyone, about 90% did it in the experiment. Um, so human error, people will make mistakes. A lot of people in companies are there temporarily. They don't care about the company particularly. If somebody phones up and says, hi, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the CEO of the company. Um, I'm out in Spain at the moment. Um, I've lost my bank account. Can you give me the, the company credit card so I can rent a car? Oh, yes, Mr. So-and-so. Here you go. Right, so human error is quite often happening. <laughs> Typing in the wrong password, not noticing there's key loggers, all those things. You know, we're, we're only human. And again, as I said to you, I, I over Christmas bought some shoes for my daughter for some dodgy website that never turned up straightly. Um, really irritates me. Uh, malicious employees, right? If you work, if it's, again, if you work at a company, it's not very nice, they treat you really badly, you basically, um, you do them in. Um, I won't mention any names, but somebody at, at this college did it in a previous job, apparently. Um, it happens, doesn't it? Human nature, if somebody does me in, I'm going to do them in. I'm going to think, eye for an eye and all that religious stuff. Um, disguised criminals, again, on the internet these days, it's so easy, everything's manufactured in China. I could easily go and get a Serco uniform, probably from some, some, some sweatshop in China. I can turn up to some company with my Serco suit on and say, I'm from Serco. Everyone knows Serco is the security firm that looks after government contracts. They'll say, oh, yes, yes, come in. You know, here's the server room, help yourself. So disguising yourself with that type of thing. And again, the, the wheelchair trick, everyone does that. Um, the other one is shoulder surfing, that type of thing. Uh, shoulder surfing, you just watch over somebody's shoulder to see what they're up to, watch where they're passing. If, I mean, I've, if you're, I, I desperately, nervously never get money out in London because people are standing behind you looking over your shoulder all the time. Happens quite a lot. And then finally, natural disasters. Uh, technically, these are non-technical things, isn't it? If the, if the data system gets flooded, there's not much I can do about it. Everything's lost. Or lightning storms, all those types of things. 10.4. Well, I do 10.4, then we'll finish the rest up this afternoon, because this is quite a big topic, looks like. Uh, technical and non-technical vulnerabilities. So what are some of the problems that may or may not occur within organisations? So the first technical problem, insufficient security, right? Again, most, if you look at a website, most websites these days use, I think, 248-bit encryption, which is quite difficult to break. So if you go onto a website, it's got a green padlock, it sends a security certificate, which is all encrypted, with 248 bits of encryption. That's really difficult to, even man in middle attack, you wouldn't be able to un unencrypt that and break it. If you've got anything less than that, if you go onto a website which is using a really old certificate, which is 128 or 56 bits encryption, these days the browsers generally will say, I'm not going to go to this website because it's not secure enough. Right. That happens within 
um, your system itself. If you don't keep this up to date and use the most up to date encryption when you're making websites and things and security stupids, that will be a problem. And really anything over 512 bits, I would imagine. Uh, out of date software, again, does everyone update Windows ad nauseum? Because it's, it's every couple of days there seems to be a new patch for it. Same thing though, you know, do you update your phones regularly? Do you update any software that you use? Um, classic example, as I said to you, is every company, because it's the biggest, most well-known sort of a web server software in the world is Apache, but again, the people that run it don't update it all the time. They just install it, it works, they forget about it. You know, and three months later, they're hacked because there was a security patch they didn't patch. Um, hardware, again, there is, there is a problem that the, the, the Yanks are obsessed with um, Chinese technology. They think that it's embedded all this code inside of it that's going to break, it, break all their systems. But, I mean, there is some reality to that. If you think about most of the hardware is running a system of software on it, so it's easy to embed stuff into that hardware if you wanted to and take control of stuff. But, you know, if you don't patch the, update the hardware... So these days, I think most computers on the BIOS, it will have a firmware update. Yeah? Has anyone done that recently? Have you even checked your BIOS if it's out of date for security holes? Again, you should. If, you're, if it's your job, you should go onto the actual BIOS, particularly on, particularly on servers, to make sure the actual firmware is up to date. Yep. Checking out, because the actual the silicon that's on the machine has run its own software. If that's not up to date, can you give that back, please? Then you're going to actually got a security hole. And those are exploitable. If people know that, uh, if people know that uh, the Xeon processor on X servers is compromised, then they will send out software to check every single server that's running that particular piece of hardware, and they'll see if there's an exploit. If you haven't updated it, in they come, and away they go. Uh, and for such firmware, software no longer supported by the supplier. Um, I had a really nice piece of software I used, which was a genealogy open source genealogy website and I used it to keep track of my family tree uh, unfortunately I think the person that maintained it only maintained it up to uh, PHP version 5 and they've not maintained it ever since so every server you can still sort of run it but it's full of security holes so I can't run it anymore so again stuff runs out and you, you're forced then to make a different decision so it's um, legacy systems, the, the, the NHS is the classic example. So again, there may be a longer question on the exam along the lines of, can you give an example of a, of a situation where a system was compromised because of out-of-date hardware or software? So the classic example is the, the WannaCry thing with the NHS, because they still run loads of Windows XP machines. They're, they're, they're on the network, they just do the job well. Downstairs in the workshop, we've got a, a lathe or, or a cutting device which runs on XP. They've never updated it because they didn't need to. The machine will go on and on forever running on that XP, but XP is way out of date. So there's a security problem, presumably. Now, if we connect that machine to the network, which is possible, we've got a massive security hole all of a sudden. Um, fail open electronic locks. Um, so again, if, if those not up to date, these doors are reprogrammed, I think, at the beginning every year. And I think I have to go into the staff room to update my key. So I have to go there and it just buzzes it and reprograms it. But again, if the company doesn't do that, they just leave it, then somebody leaves the company, they don't hand in this, they go and clone it somehow. Again, um, Dan, who's one of the engineer teachers, uh, he, he hooked this up to some Arduino and he managed to, to unencode un it figure out what was on there and, and he could reprogram it if he wanted to just as a, as a thought experiment so that stuff happens doesn't it 
Uh, weak passwords. Again, passwords are fairly easy to break. Most people will put in their pet or whatever, you know, quite easy things. It might be their date of birth. You can match this stuff up and quickly figure out it's a weak passwords problem. Uh, missing some aspect of authentication. So if you if you if you find it too much of a, an annoyance to use two-factor authentication, then you're you're opening yourself up to real security problems, aren't you? When somebody just because somebody figures out your password, uh, they don't need to worry about sending a message to the mobile phone because you didn't enable it. So they get in with your just with your password. So that's missing authentication or authorization. And then exploitable bugs. Does everyone know about zero-day bugs? Did we talk about that before? So again, the, the example I use is with Moodle. This isn't quite the same case, but it's a similar sort of thing to explain it anyway. As, as I run a Moodle site, or as we run a Moodle site, I should say, on our server, Moodle obviously is, is testing the code. People out in the community are testing code, make sure there's no bugs. If they find a bug in the code, they notify Moodle HQ. Moodle HQ then send out an email to anyone with an email admin account and says, we found this security problem. You've got two weeks to fix it. Here's the fix. You've got two weeks to apply this fix before we tell the public that it's a, there's a problem. Right? Now, it's up to you. If you don't bother fixing Moodle, then you're two weeks later when your site gets hacked, you've got no complaint because you were told and you had two weeks' notice. A zero-day bug is, again, Microsoft might find there's a problem with um, Windows 11 uh, and then they're, they're working on fixing it. But before they fix it, if that got leaked out into the community, people know that they're working on it, but it's not yet fixed, so they can start hacking into it right, before Microsoft fixed the problem. So that's software problems, legacy problems, uh, non-technical problems. So you can see there's a similarity here. There's non-technical, technical, financial, all those types of things. So non-technical problems are employees, employees that don't follow policy and procedures, if I'm told I have, to, I have to change my password every month and I don't do it, if I'm not forced to do it, there's too much of a hassle, really. If I don't do it, then I'm undermining the company in some way, aren't I? Right? So not following policy and procedures. If the company says I have to change my password every month, but it doesn't send me a notification, I should still do that. Otherwise, I'm compromised, the company. Uh, competency levels of staff. If I'm not trained how to look for that stuff and how to secure stuff or how to encrypt files... Again, recently in the college, in the last month or so, they've, they've introduced, I think you can probably use it as well, there is on Outlook, you can type in private in the actual, I think, it's, I think that's how it works, you type private into the actual um, subject of an email you sent, it will automatically encrypt it and send it to somebody else. Right? So that's the security thing. But again, staff had training on that, but most staff have probably forgotten by now if they want to send stuff. But that's quite important, isn't it? So if you don't... The competency levels. If people don't know how to use all these security things, then they're useless, aren't they? Uh, lack of recruitment screening. Again, if you employ somebody and you don't look into their background and you find out they're actually a, a, you know, a black hat hacker, all over the internet it says that's all they do and you employ them, then it's your fault when your, your system goes down. Because you didn't do the background checks properly. Again, in... in the, as an example, if you have to illustrate this with an example, if you don't know this, but if, if anyone applies, uh, applies for teaching post or anything that's involved with children under 18, you have this um, security check. Uh, you have to get a certificate from the police saying that they've looked at your background record and you are safe to work with children. And you get a little certificate and you cannot work unless you've got that. It's a DPS check. Uh, it does cost money, I think. Um, so that's lack of screening. Again, if you don't do the DBS check, if somebody does something inappropriate on your system, then you're to blame because you didn't do the background checks. 
and then poor data cybersecurity hygiene um, again classic in Strode College um, my daughter applied here four years ago I think she was only here a week she didn't sort of fit in she's still on the system they haven't removed her. Now, that's a data security breach, really, a data, data protection. She shouldn't be on the system if she no longer or was never in this college more than a day. Um, and ideally, I, I guess we'll have to keep records on you for a year or two after you leave in case you come back to ask about stuff. But, I mean, um, there's been real problems to some extent because Gemma was a student here and Gemma's also a teacher here, but both accounts are still live. So you can still send emails to her student account and they still work. But that shouldn't happen. So companies not or this company not following the rules. So archiving dormant staff accounts. Now, if if that's is still live, if I know Gemma well enough, as an example, I should be able to figure out what her password is. I can get in as a student account and do all sorts of things, couldn't I? In theory. So if those accounts aren't archived and dormant, then somebody could use those in order to break into the system. So again, as security people within your network, as support people, you should keep a track of those accounts and put up some sort of policy against them. On our online server, I think the accounts I created for you, I think, I, when, I, when I created accounts for you on our server, because you've got logins, I set the end date to be whenever the end date is July next year. So after that, you won't be able to log in and use that server, theoretically. Right? So that should be a policy that we should be following. And once we get this new data centre downstairs that you'll be managing, you can try all these skills out and actually practice with these things, I hope. Uh, so that's employees, and then physical access controls, um, adequate security procedures, so door access, are these things updated? These are updated every term, I think. They're reprogrammed to make sure that people that do get one of these aren't necessarily going to break into the system. Um, and they need to be regularly changed, using simple access codes, reusing access codes. Um, most very secure sites, and I think on the college here, you can't use the same password twice, can you? In a, within a time period, maybe next time, you, every third time, you can go back to an old password. But it depends how the security policy is. Most fairly secure systems won't allow you to use the same password more than once. Right? In order to, and again, from a security point of view, that makes sense, doesn't it? You don't want people going back. If your password is out there and people know it, then they can break into your system because they know you've used it again. Uh, no monitoring of access to secure, secure areas. Um, Again, this, this, this will open up various doors around the campus. It will, if I go over in A block, is the main server room. I can buzz my key against it. It won't open, but a notification will go through to the actual IT services team saying that somebody's trying to get into this person, because it's attached to my name, is trying to get into the server room, and then I'll get somebody hassling me about it. Same for you if you did the same. Um, and unnecessary staff access to secure areas, if... If I did have access to the server room, I could theoretically go in there and cause all sorts of damage, thinking I'm some great programmer on computers. I could bring down the whole system, could I, inadvertently. Again, it's human error. I go in, oh, I know there is about Windows Server. I'll just type in a few commands. Oh, oh gosh, it's all crashed. Sorry. All right, so that's something. So that's about personnel security. Okay. Uh, so we'll end it there, I guess, and we'll pick it up this afternoon um, and finish this one off. This, again, is quite a big unit, so... I'll do the same point.